Hello. Welcome to the Relton Horror Picture Show, the horror movie podcast where we talk about films off the Rotten Tomatoes 200 Best Horror Movies of All Time list. My name is Clay, and with me, as always, is Amanda. How are you doing, Amanda? Just mediocre. How are you? Good, good, good. Uh, I'm speaking, I will be speaking in only whispers today in honor of Oliver Reed's performance in the movie we're covering today, which is David Cronenberg's The Brood. Is that why you're wearing that mock neck uh, turtleneck and, 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 you noth- know, and nothing else? And, 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 a, and a sateen <laughs> robe and some house slippers? <laughs> he definitely was like, I'm bringing my own wardrobe yeah. for this one, baby. Yeah, like no costume, no hair, no makeup. I will walk onto set as I am, or I will not walk onto set at all. I would like the greatest coat you can find. Yeah, that was a great And coat. a karate gi. <laughs> No, it's, that's definitely a smoking jacket. And nothing, and nothing else. And nothing else. <laughs> uh, yes, we're talking about the I brood. Will have three snifters of brandy. <laughs> you can have the three. Leave the bottle. <laughs> uh, he actually apparently got arrested because on a drunken dare, um, they someone dared him to walk naked through like the center of town or something, and he got arrested. He strikes me as a man who would be extremely comfortable naked in public. Yeah, whether or not anybody else was comfortable. Yeah, no, no, I wasn't talking about anyone else. I just meant him. Yeah, no, Oliver Reed, we can talk about him a bit more when we get into this, but uh, (laughs) legendary. You're not going to hold that that, that whisper the whole whole podcast? I mean, if if it would be better for everybody else, I'd be happy to do it. (laughs) It's much easier on my voice. No one is calling you daddy in this, though. Mm, Damn it. He gets called daddy. So much in that movie. Yeah, I well, we'll get yes. into it. Anyway, <laughs> this is number 174 hmm. on our list. It has an 80% Rotten Tomato score with a 68% audience score. Um, I, I just want to get into this a little bit because we don't usually do reviews on this. Do I want to save this? I'll say I'll save the review stuff for after mm. we talk about it because I find it fascinating because it comes in 1979, mm-hmm. right before the big horror boom of the 80s. And uh, it 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 has some quotes from Roger Ebert mm. that I just find for a guy that is so revered. I would I guess as a movie critic, yes. Um, dude's got some really intense uh, puritanical opinions when it comes to movies like this in a way that I find very strange. I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm curious. I'm curious to see what this is. So yeah, we'll, we'll hold that discussion for later. It, like, it's not. It's nothing like groundbreaking. Yeah, it's, yeah. But it's the same kind of stuff he would level at like the Friday the Thirteenth movies. Right, and right. This is grotesque pornography. Essentially, it has no yes. merit as a film. Yes. Yeah. Um. But anyway, uh, had you seen this before? I had. Um. I think I'd caught bits and pieces of it long long ago but the time i most remember seeing it was at uh one of our friends houses or like a halloween party or something our fr- like ours and yes. you and me really yes. yeah you know did you know we share friends i i had heard tell but <laughs> i haven't met them yet i feel like it was maybe at our friend laura's old apartment one time Okay. I think. Maybe a Halloween. Man, ooh. Would I, like would I have tomato? pulled out the brood for a Halloween movie? I think she I think she did. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah, this Plumbing is the depths of the mental I'm archives. I'm trying to figure. There's, uh, there's such an interesting audio. history. <laughs> such an interesting history of movies <laughs> that we have chosen more or less by her. Oh. No, specifically by her. <laughs> yes. Um, 
Yes, she's a woman of varied tastes. Yeah, my favorite being when we were doing our movie marathon, we were jumping houses, mm-hmm. and uh, she was like, um, she wanted to watch Valhalla Rising. Oh. Because it had Mad- Mads Mikkelsen and was about Vikings. Yeah. And um, she didn't last very long, because it's not like- No. And it's not it's not the Northman, let's put it that way. It's uh, It's a very brutal, ugly, yeah. slow, art house movie about Vikings. Yeah. Huh. <clears throat> interesting yeah but you know but yes i have i have seen the brood in strange settings mm. which is uh very appropriate for watching the brood yes i had seen i saw this i think in college when i was starting to do uh deep dives on various filmmakers and mm-hmm. stuff and i think this is probably pretty early of as I was getting into Cronenberg movies, because mm. I think I probably saw The Fly first, and then kind of went backwards. And I think I was probably watching this around the same time as I was watching like Shivers and Rabbit. And I oh. I always I always forget this is so early in his yeah. career that this comes before. I you know I probably watched this after Scanners. I think I watched Scanners first. Yeah, but I always forget that this was before Scanners because I always think yeah. of Scanners as like his first big movie yeah but this was after i mean the scanners was after this right but uh yeah this was always this was this was um well we'll get into his whole vibe in a minute but this is uh very emblematic of his early days vibe which is very unique classic uh, classic cronenberg we're gonna play the trailer for you real quick and then we'll come back to talk about the brood They come from the unknown, and they're here now, hiding, waiting to strike. You can feel their presence all around you. Never before have you come this close to the edge of terror. Never before have you faced anything so strange and sinister, so bizarre and unnerving. Never until now. David Cronenberg's The Brood. Are you ready for me, Frank? I seem to be a very special person now. I'm in the middle of a strange adventure. I want to go with you wherever you go. Do you? Yes. Then look! The brood. You can run. You can hide and hope they won't find you. But you won't escape. Once unleashed, the brood will destroy anyone who gets in their way. David Cronenberg's ultimate experience in inner terror, starring Oliver Reed and Samantha Egar. The Brood. They're waiting for you. 
Okay, The Brood, directed by David Cronenberg, written by David Cronenberg, starring Oliver Reed, Samantha Egger, Art Hintel, Cindy Hines, who uh, I found out today is also Johnny's tutoring student from The Dead Zone. Oh, The little blonde girl that he's tutoring is the same girl. Uh, And some dwarf killers, that is to say dwarves who kill, not a killer who only targets dwarves. Or like killer dwarves, like... Those are excellent. Those are some excellent. Those are some killer dwarves you got there, Hal. (laughs) Amanda, what happens in The Brood? A man tries to uncover an unconventional psychologist's therapy techniques on his institutionalized wife amidst a series of brutal murders. Okay, sure. Sort of. All the summaries for this movie either give away way too much Mm. or way too little, as that one does. Yeah. Uh, it should just say like this one's pretty weird yeah and then just leave it at that (laughs) this one should be women they (laughs) should cut they should cut they should meet in the middle and Mm. do a a synopsis like that one Mm. that highlights the like oh there's a brutal murders and then at the end sentence number two Mm. this was pretty weird guys this was pretty weird (laughs) this was a weird one yes well some things you'll find in this movie include Mm -hmm. uh 70s new age guru retreats yeah he uh, there's a um he really goes at the the self-help guru thing yeah and like i i feel like he's kind of that's something he kind of cues cues into a lot in his movies Mm -hmm. because scanners has a bit of that in there uh videodrome very much has a a bunch of that in there uh he seems to be very suspicious of these yes. cult-like people uh, who groups. promise they they have the answers. Yes, yes. Uh, you'll also find a mother-in-law with quote a large number of lovers unquote. <laughs> Is that something you would ever want to know, and something you would ever want to say or hear? Personally, no. Yeah, I mean, hey, <laughs> not not even a little. Hey, what's his name? What's the guy's name? Peter. What's the main character's name in this movie? Isn't it Frank? Frank. <laughs> Good on Frank for being progressive about it's his. It's the '70s, baby. Mother-in-laws, you know. We're all vaguely British and maybe Canadian. Yeah, just it's out 1970s. There. One big key party. <laughs> uh, you'll also find a lady mullet. Very interesting haircut on the teacher in this movie. That yes. I'm going to assume was on purpose. Uh, it looked pretty on purpose to me. Yeah, she wasn't trying to. I was. I was joking. I've gone through many a hairstyle, and I have definitely grown my hair out and had a brief phase that probably looked somewhat like that. Mm-hmm. And I wore uh, headbands, <laughs> uh, handkerchiefs, um, hair, cl- anything I could to disguise my head. In well, shame. it might be one of those situations. Did you ever hear the story about that? You know that like uh, asymmetrical haircut that was kind of. I think I don't know if that was an '80s thing. Yeah, it's it was been like around. Long on one side, and then like chin length on the other yeah, side yeah, yeah i heard the story of that was someone went in to get their hair done had only half of it done and then like had to leave because of an emergency <laughs> and then when the hairdresser called them up it's like do you want to finish it they're like actually eh, i kind of like it so they just left it that's what i've heard it's a, i don't know if that's a true story <laughs> that is the most made-up story i've ever heard in my life i that's what i've heard <laughs> uh you'll also find modernist crime scene outlines yes the the, the the body outline yes. in tape yes. in this was 
so methodically done. Yes. Every angle is a right angle. They even did her arm that was like on top of the body that you usually wouldn't mm-hmm. get in the outline. Mm-hmm. Usually it's just an outline of where the body was. Right. It's not like where each individual limb was placed. Yes. It was uh, quite a work of art in my opinion. It looked like a little pixelated man or, or woman in this case. Yes, it did. Uh, you'll also find a standby autopsy guy. Yeah, it's always great to to have a guy you can call yeah. in the middle of the night to... Do an autopsy on a child's dead body? No questions asked. Nope. And when he tells you about the lack of navel, sexual reproductive organs, yes. and the uh, gas tank on its back, <laughs> um, <laughs> does so completely stone-faced. Yes. Not yes. Uh, perplexed or anything. No panic. No, this is a scientific anomaly that's going to put me on the map. Nope. Just, nope. Here you go. That scene, that scene almost almost felt like it was an, like a reshoot or something. Yeah, like, like a late feel... edition or something. They were like, we got to make these kids uh, creepier. Or, or at the very least, someone was like, can you, can you tell us what the fuck is going on with these things? Just anything. <laughs> the correct answer should have been no. Uh, yes. And lastly, you will find uh, questionable parenting. Multi-generational questionable yes. parenting. This yes. is questionable parenting of humans, questionable parenting of brood babies. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just all sorts of questionable. Questionable parenting by Dr. Hal Raglan. The Raglin. real question is, what could these brood babies have done to better society if they yes. had better brood baby all right. parenting? All right, doctor. Put, put the pipe down, please. Well, if you just allow me to talk... <laughs> further about the potential of the brood baby um yeah because this this movie this while the actual questionable parenting itself Mm -hmm. is not the most extreme no this is probably a top five movie for questionable parenting because it is it is essentially a dissertation on questionable parenting right right it's it's in the top five because this whole movie is about parenting yes and 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 children, parents and children. Yes. That's what this whole that's what this whole movie is about. Whereas in other movies, we sort of see some questionable parenting that might be worse in terms of intensity, but it's sort of just like beside the point of the rest of the movie. Or yeah, it's like, like a, yeah, of course you hang your kid upside down in a right. cellar or something. Yeah, questionable, yeah. of course, obviously. But yeah. <clears throat> of course, Leatherface's parents were questionable. Yeah, parenting they could have him. done a better job. Sure. Yes, but that's kind but of not, not the point of the movie. <laughs> Actually, the, in Texas Chainsaw, they seem to have a very well-adjusted family. say it in family. Oliver Reed voice well, if you're going to talk like a doctor. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the uh, family presented as actually a very solid and strengthened family unit. <laughs> they the moved that, through their rage, One that just does not conform to our societal norms, and therefore they are presented as outcasts. Even your dog is confused at what you're doing right now. <laughs> So this is uh, mm. very commonly regarded to be um, David Cronenberg's uh, dissertation on the divorce he was going through at the time, mm. which he uh, himself has also said. He said this was kind of his reaction to Kramer, his his version of Kramer versus Kramer, because <laughs> he thought Kramer versus Kramer was too optimistic. <laughs> and while I don't wow. disagree... Sure. I actually don't think that this is um, as much a, about divorce because I, f- I feel like that's the easy w- mm. way thing to put on this movie. Sure. Yeah. But it seems more to me about this is more about um, 
being in a relationship with someone you don't understand anymore. Yeah. And who has kind of gone off the deep end. I know that sounds reductive, but uh, (laughs) there's a a line in the movie that pretty much sums it up that I'll read later. But um, I was surprised watching it this time how much it felt less like, oh, this is a divorce movie and more like this is a I don't know who this person is anymore type movie. Yeah, it's it's so interesting because watching this movie again made me realize how little Frank, our main character, and Nola, <laughs> how how little Frank and Nola actually interact in this movie. They only have one scene at the end, right? Yeah, but they don't even they they, they talk on the phone maybe like once before That's, that yes, or something. Yes, but they're they are not. It's not about their relationship so much as it is. Yeah, about about the kind of the aftermath already. Like like what by the time we meet these characters, Nola has already been in treatment. Mm-hmm. Like she is she is sequestered. She's in isolation in some sort of intensive psychotherapy treatment. Frank has been single single parenting their daughter and just like going about his life and he's clearly planning for a divorce. Yeah. He is he is on the side of like this this marriage is over we need to settle this and split everything up and have stability and i want custody of candy and that's where we start right we never see these two people in love we never see them interacting we don't even see them fighting right yeah like there's no breakup here yeah they're already whether nola realizes it or not they're already broken up and yes. so what we see instead is the result that both of their behaviors have had on their daughter mm-hmm. and the struggle to fully separate, I think, from yeah. one another. Yeah. Like, I know we're, we're jumping right into the deep end here. but yeah. um, It's hard not to with this <clears throat> yeah. movie. I, I don't really know where to start other than the deep end. Yeah. And the thing that stood out to me is like, I feel like what makes this, so I think this is something we can kind of cut open if we want to um because movies about divorce made mm-hmm. by one of the two parties who are be- who are going through divorce mm-hmm. tend to be slightly one-sided <clears throat> you don't say um we'll probably mention possession quite a bit yeah because they kind of these this would be a hell of a twofer at the drive-in <laughs> oh my god i don't think i could do it <clears throat> um but possession when we were talking about possession on on patreon uh, one of the things that we that stood out to us about possession is that it doesn't really posit either side being one hundred percent correct or mm-hmm. or at uh, without blame. And this is weird because I I think that's what stops me from saying, oh, this is a divorce movie mm-hmm. because divorce movies are usually like, you know, lots of fighting, yeah, lots of tearing it apart, yeah, and like Frank doesn't hate Nola. Like, it's not like we're watching him go through this thing where he, like, hates her and can't wait to get out. You know, like, it's he just, he honestly doesn't know what's going on with her. And and they have grown apart, clearly. Yeah. But I wouldn't say that he hates her the way that you would get in most divorce metaphor allegory stories. Sure. I... I don't think he hates her in that sort of cliched way, but mm-hmm. I do think he has contempt for her. Sure. Okay. Like, I, yeah. I think there's a level of 
you know, I just want to be fucking done with this woman. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think he has a lot of empathy for her. I don't think he has any pity for her. I think he's just like, I'm over it. Yeah. I want to get away from you. I don't want to talk to you anymore. I don't want to think about you anymore. I don't want you in my life. Yeah. And to have that full of a, of a, you know, a wall come down between you and somebody you ostensibly used to love enough that you married her and had a child with her and were with her for years. There has to be, I think an underlying level of just like, fuck you. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Like maybe he's not enraged over it, but I think he has, I do, I do. I think contempt's the best word I can come up with for it where it's just sort of a cold contempt. And at the end, when he sees her in the climactic scene in the work shed, um, he is disgusted by her. Yeah. There is there is a level of revulsion from him towards her. It's pretty gross. It is, but <laughs> I I think it I think it's already there. Yeah, it's funny because like, deep down I think he's already repulsed by her. Yeah, it's funny because as I was watching that scene this time, the the lines the lines that he has that he's telling to her, he's obviously doing it because he's trying to keep her calm Mm -hmm. and i was thinking about it i was like is there is i feel like there's almost another version of this movie where he's not lying where it's like the end is he's like you know what i'm sorry i get it now i understand what you're going through yeah and i'm sorry that you know x y right right that's obviously not the way they go here but yeah yeah it it is it's i find it unique that as you were kind of saying we don't we kind of come in after the breakup has happened yes and i think maybe that's where his attitude is coming from where yeah. he's past the breakup mm-hmm. and now he's in the state of mind where he's like i don't know what the fuck's going on with her <laughs> she's got and the I'm, kid this weekend i don't yeah. know what the fuck they're doing and that's i do i think that is pretty relatable in some ways mm. like if you've ever been in a in a serious relationship that went wrong in the end and you broke up and you were with the person for long enough you have you know like overlapping things in your life or overlapping social circles sure and then when you start, when you're the party in the breakup that is more ready to move on, the other person's emotions start to feel ridiculous to you. Yeah. At times. Yeah. It's just like, are you, do we really have to talk about this again? We've been broken up for six months. Can right. you please just stop? Like, I've, I've had enough. I don't want to relitigate it. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Why can't you move on? And it's because she's not ready to move on she wants them to stay together yeah her fantasies and dreams when she talks to dr raglan are i had the most lovely dream frank and i were back together and we were with candy it was just the three of us and everything Mm. was great like that's what she wants yeah and he wants the exact opposite but he's already so settled in what he wants that this there is no conversation to be had anymore yeah, I think because there is there is this thread going through as well, and I think maybe this is kind of why I was thinking. Oh, I, th- I wonder if there's a different version of this where Frank is a little actually, honestly, more sympathetic towards her at the end. Where yeah. I don't even know if he knows the history of Nola's mother being abusive towards her. But does he know yeah. that? I can't remember if he knows that. I don't know if we're ever. I don't think we're ever told explicitly what he does or does not know, but I know there's a moment where Nola is talking to the doctor and says, he thinks I want, he thinks I'm turning into my mother. Mm -hmm. He thinks I want to make candy another baby Nola. Mm -hmm. 
And that's the last thing I want. So like she's projecting all of this onto him, but it does imply that he's at least aware that her mother was not a good mother. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know how, how deep does it go? And I'm also really curious in this movie. Do you think we're supposed to believe grandma Juliana's version of events or Nola's version of events in Nola's childhood? Yeah, that's a good question. Because everything is hearsay. Yeah, because from n- highly unreliable narrators, Nola is is talking about it as though she was severely beaten and pushed down the stairs right, and right. and all of these, and that's why she kept ending up in the hospital. Whereas the grandmother talks to Candy about it and says she used to get these these weird rashes, and the doctors couldn't figure out what it was, so sure. we'd have to bring her to the hospital. Well, what it was was psychoplasmics. Yes. <laughs> Obviously. Psychoplasmics. Yes. Uh, this has one of the weirder openings to any movie. Where oh God, uh, I love it, though. We cut in. I mean, is there. Man, you want to talk about ASMR. Is there a better, more soothing. <laughs> soothing while also, you know, exciting way to, <laughs> to start okay. a movie than. Fade in on Oliver Reed just whispering you through your internal pain, getting you to externalize it. it it's it's just such a weird ass opening. Because and, it's so it's it's Oliver Reed and his patient mm-hmm. sitting on the floor of a stage in an auditorium. Yeah. In karate geese, it yep. looks like. Mm-hmm. Sitting on the floor facing one another and having what is a very strange therapy session in front of an audience. Yes. And I couldn't tell if that was, I, I'm assuming this is like, I couldn't tell if they were doing this for show yeah. or if this is just like the group session. Oh, I don't know. I'm trying to remember. I feel like when um, when the patient pulls his, his shirt down and he's covered in this these like welts or whatever, mm-hmm. I feel... I could be misremembering, but I feel like people gasped. Yeah, I like think, the, there I was, think you're right. There was sort yeah. of a crowd this reaction feels, of like... <gasps> it feels like this is some sort of presentation yes. of what psychoplasmics is. Yes, he's showing people what his method can do and, mm. and, and, and how it works in order to draw in, I don't know, funding, publicity... Yeah. It's some some you know pull more people into his sort of quasi cult practice. Mm. It's it's such a um, you know what 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 he's doing. He's got this this thing that is is uh, it's essentially like the extreme depiction of the effects of stress and anger on the body. Yeah, that become literalized through. I guess the lymphatic system, some explosion <laughs> of the lymphatic, yeah. some David Cronenberg <laughs> yeah. body horror bullshit. Yeah. You just have to do your very normal exercises yeah, rolling of rolling around. back and forth on your floor yep. to make sure your lymph because system. Because there's, man, that's one of those, that scene is one of those perfect David Cronenberg scenes mm-hmm. where it's like this weird guy rolling around. He's got this giant tumor on his neck. But he's got it covered with a towel, but he's in a beige tracksuit. And what he's talking about <laughs> mm-hmm. is this concept that the lymphatic system in the body is like a secondary circulatory system, yes. but there's no heart. Yes. There's no heart pumping it. Yes. And like, that's such a, that's such a thing that I'm like, I, 
I a hundred percent understand him cueing in on this thing where it's like, yes. there's a second system in your body, yes. that has no heart that that like nobody knows really what it how it works that operates or what it in does. parallel to this other system. Yeah. Yes, and that that's kind of the the seed that creates the rest of the movie. Yes. Like I I yeah. I, th- I think that little monologue from from that guy is kind of like in a in a, in Cronenberg's mind it is the underpinnings of the whole film. Yes. That and the other line uh which is uh, a man who got involved with a woman who who married you for your sanity hoping it would rub off. Like that's <laughs> that's the one line where I'm like okay, that's the line where I feel like he's really taking it to his wife there. Yeah. Yeah, and but but you know Jumping, jumping back to the idea that this is less about a less of a divorce movie and more about parenthood mm-hmm. and children, there is that amazing d- dialogue between Frank when when it's like we've gotten into the movie a little bit. We've sort of been introduced to Doctor Raglan and his process. We've been introduced to Nola and and the fact that she's his patient, and we've seen that Candy, the little five year old girl, mm. is getting abused somehow. There's bruises and scratches all over her back. And that is the central conflict of the movie. So here's a question Mm -hmm. I was thinking about today. Mm -hmm. Do we ever find out what's causing those bruises and scratches? Not for sure. Yeah. I didn't think so. Because it's it's such an inciting kind of incident that kind of just falls to the wayside. Yeah. It's it's a good question. And it's another one that kind of goes back to my like are we supposed to believe nola are we supposed to believe juliana mm-hmm. is nola and then are we supposed to bring believe nola when it comes to candy or are we supposed to believe frank who thinks nola is beating her nola doesn't think she's beating her she doesn't understand why candy's getting hurt it yeah. could be the brood kids i i the thing that i find so fascinating about this movie is i think it all i think it I think you watch this movie and you get it. You get what's going on. Yeah. And what I don't know if you realize until you sit down and think about it mm-hmm. is how little information you actually get about what yes. the fuck's going on. Yes. Yes. And like, 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 who are these people to one another really? And how right. were their relationships before everything fell apart? Yeah. This movie doesn't provide you with any of that context. We don't right. know how Frank and Nola met. We don't know what attracted them to one another. Mm-hmm. We don't know if they were actually genuinely happy and in love. And and maybe things were going really well for a long time. Yeah. And then maybe there was some sort of inciting incident. Like, and what was that incident? How did Nola get end up put in treatment and, and Frank trying to divorce her? Was her mother really abusing her? Was her mother a Munchausen by proxy kind of person? Mm. Was Nola actually going through some sort of unknown physical ailment do dr raglan's practices work i don't know what they're spe- well the only <laughs> the only other patient we see is the the guy from the beginning yeah who is essentially a psychoplasmic version of bill murray from what about bob yes. and i don't know if he's being helped he seems yeah, he, to be he doesn't seem like he it. seems to be addicted to the process yeah well i guess we see the goiter guy too right who says he that it's cancerous and it's spreading throughout his body yeah so so i don't know it doesn't I don't seem know. like it's a good thing but also like how is he doing it yeah and <laughs> like, like we what don't is get the, any answers to any of that not totally sure what the benefit is of 
Right. That's my question. Literalizing your pain. Yeah. In sores and creepy little monster children. Because if there is a benefit, it would be to externalize it and then literally heal from it. Right. And then be able to, because you've rid your inner body of it, it doesn't hold you back anymore. Yes. That would make sense to me if that were the goal. Hmm. We don't ever see an example of like, this has actually worked for somebody. Yes. Yeah. Well, <laughs> sort of we do. Uh, <laughs> if we want to recenter ourselves here mm, a little bit, because we're kind of all over the place. Yeah. Um, the main thrust of this movie is that Nola, uh, Frank's wife Nola, mm-hmm. is has been seeing the psychoplasmics guru, Dr. Raglan, mm-hmm. for who knows how long. Mm-hmm. Raglan has taken some sort of liking to her because she's a special case. And the reason she's such a special case <laughs> is through apparently whatever psychoplasmics is. Yep. She has been uh, externalizing her pain and trauma into the uh, asexual creation of little rage monsters. Yes. That look a lot like her little daughter who and looks a, a lot like her who when looks she a lot was like her little. who apparently come pre stocked with little tiny snowsuits i don't yes. know if that's if they if that grows on them yeah. or if they just have like a closet full of them cuz we kind of only see one uh when it's brand brand new right and then we see them when they already are running around in the world they've murdering. all got pajamas too cuz they yes. get the pajamas at the end yeah. So I don't know if like Raglan is is doing this thing at the beginning because he's like, I need money to pay for all the tiny clothes. <laughs> for all of the little bitty snowsuits that we need. But you could argue, you could argue that uh, his methods are working in a twisted way because mm-hmm. what she is doing is uh, the therapy that he is trying to give her is eliminating her trauma and pain by these little rage monsters going out and killing the sources of it. Because uh, we've got that scene where she calls the house right. and the teacher answers. Yep. And she thinks that Frank is having an affair with this woman. And then next thing you know, little rage monsters kill the teacher. Yep. And then the next time we see Noel, she's like, you know, I just don't feel like she's a threat to me anymore. <laughs> you know, like it's it's the... Right. But it's also, you know, it's still the question of is it helping her? Like, sure, that's definitely still a question. Yeah. Good for anyone to go through this. Like, right? Does anybody come out the other side a well-adjusted individual who is capable of living in society? I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no as well. Probably not. <laughs> Although the goiter guy seemed pretty well-adjusted, he was just you know dying. But I don't know, man. Rolling around on the floor talking about your lymphatic system. Got to be interesting. Just a something. normal Tuesday for you. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Wednesday usually. <clears throat> that's that's lymphatic system day. <laughs> yeah. Monday is leg day. Yep. Tuesday is chest and shoulders. Mm-hmm. Wednesday's your lymph system. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Just yeah. massaging different points on my neck <laughs> and under my armpits. <laughs> but um there's this scene where um Frank brings candy to Nola's mother mm-hmm. to babysit. And when he's dropping her off, Nola's mother has obviously been drinking and is obviously drinking more. And she starts talking about being a parent and says something to Frank like, well, you don't understand what it's like to be a parent 
whose child blames you for everything. Mm. Um, and she, she, there's there's a couple lines that I really enjoyed that were, um, thirty seconds after you're born, you have a past, yeah, and sixty seconds after that, you're lying to yourself about it, yes. And she starts talking about how children... It's like the most cynical thing a mother could possibly say. I (laughs) know. I know. But this is why it's so great because I think it gives a lot of insight into how Cronenberg's approaching like women, Mm. uh, motherhood, Mm -hmm. parents in general. All of that's kind of encapsulated in this Mm. little monologue that she has because then she starts saying that you look at yourself as your child sees you in the past and you can't even recognize yourself yes. the way they twist it. Yeah. And it's so interesting because that's such a fucked up way to think about kids. Yeah. But I mean, it's, it isn't incorrect though. Right. Because I think it's a gross oversimplification. Well, I guess, I guess it's sort of like the idea of the person that you're, child thinks that you are is not necessarily the person you know yourself to be sure because it's only it's only born of the experiences that the two of you have together which is completely separate from the rest of your life you know absolutely and i think in in a normal and and relatively healthy parent-child relationship that kind of stuff is like when your kids realize that their grandparent is your mommy sure yeah you know it's it's those sorts of things when they when they realize that you know for me it would be you know oh uh if i had a kid and they were like uncle chris wait uncle chris is your brother like that's sort of realizing that you had a life before them but he's here a lot yeah (laughs) one of those guys but but that that's not what she's saying. She's specifically... You should not call him uncle. If he's telling you to do that, do not do it. <laughs> Sorry. Don't be alone in a room with him. <laughs> um, but it, it, it's she's couching it entirely as they blame you for everything. Sure, yeah. And, and turning it into this fully negative thing. Mm. Like the way children see you is that you are bad and wrong. Right. And I think typically the opposite is the case that your children usually think that you're the best or that you're that you're you know everything because you're your mom or your dad or you're the parent you know everything what you say goes Mm. and so when you find out that your parents are fallible and can make mistakes and can be wrong that's a big developmental milestone for most kids oh yeah yeah is having that moment It, it it's other than because before that you have full confidence in your parent that they know everything and they're going to protect you and take care of you. Right. And in this movie, that's not the case. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's, a uh, it's very dark in that respect, but mm-hmm. I, I, I kind of really res- I respect it mm. going there mm-hmm. Oh yeah, because you know, it's the kind of thing that I think like a lot of parents probably think, but they don't want to say it. Yeah. You know, thinking giving giving voice to these negative um thoughts and connotations of parenting that yeah. you're supposed to just kind of tamp down and hope for the best but uh he's i i i like that he's taking this opportunity to really just like crack that shit open yeah and be like you know what let's just get into it absolutely because i do think there are many situations where 
people do remember things differently than their parents. Sure. Yeah. Like I'm I'm thinking of a friend specifically who has had kind of an ongoing conflict with her parents who she's otherwise very close to mm. where something from our childhoods they do not remember the way she remembers. Mm. And it's an ongoing thing that they kind of every so often it comes back up to the fore even if they you know she sort of gets to a point where it's like I I can't push harder on this like I have to let it go for my own sake I have to let it go but in her mind she very clearly remembers them behaving in a certain way and they very clearly do not yeah and so I find that fascinating because it does happen so you're right it, it's it's very it's worth digging into mm. Um, I do want to say I also think that like Frank is not a good dad. He's all right. He's, yeah, he, he, he's, I think he does okay, but yeah. he's not. <laughs> no, I. Like, well, he's, he's he's such a he's such a weird character. Yeah, and I've heard I've seen this movie get criticized because, um, he is. You can read it as he is the stand-in for Cronenberg himself in the situation. Mm. And there's not a lot of blame to be put on him, mm-hmm. which I don't know. Again, I think it's I think that's reading this too much as a straight divorce story where I yeah. think we're past that into this like, I don't know what the fuck's going on section. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think it's it's strange because he doesn't really do a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, he's just kind of. He's proactive when he sees the bruises on on Candy. Yeah. Does he take her to the doctor? I can't remember. I know he's I he's taking pictures of the bruises. But I don't think he like takes her to a doctor. No, because I think over he it. goes. I think he goes straight to straight his lawyer. To Raglan, oh, the lawyer, and then to Raglan. I think. Yeah, he goes straight to his lawyer to be like, "This is grounds that I should get sole custody." Yeah. And like. He there's a there's a throwaway comment when he first meets the teacher and she's like, well, you don't come to the parent teacher right. conferences. So yeah. I, I need to talk to you about your daughter. And mm-hmm. he's just like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. <laughs> um, and then he drops her off with her. What, what her are you doing visibly- later? Do you want to watch my kid? Yeah. <laughs> and then he drops her off with the visibly drunk grandma. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. He's not a great. He's dad. not great. I mean, there are obviously worse options in this poor little girl's life. Yeah. But do like- you think the movie is oblivious to the fact that he's a that he's kind of shitty or do you think it's i mean it's not drawing attention to it but yeah it's, he's it's he's clearly kind of doing shitty stuff it's really fascinating because neutrally I, shitty if that's a thing. yeah <laughs> shitty neutral instead of chaotic neutral yeah um it's interesting because i think it all t- this all ties into the fact that in a different movie the character of frank would drive me insane because he has zero personality and zero chemistry with anyone. Yep. But in this movie, it kind of so, works. So he's a prototypical early St- uh, early Cronenberg character. Yes, and and a Stephen King protagonist in many of the Stephen King movies and, mm-hmm. and some other movie protagonists we've encountered where it's just like generic dude. Man, wait till we get to fucking Scanners, man. Ugh. <laughs> I love Scanners, but the lead of that movie is such yeah. a drag. He's so boring. It's it's a curse. Um, but it kind of weirdly is okay in this movie. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's because everyone else around him is such a character. Mm. Um, or if it's because it's kind of like, yeah, I can see why 
given his circumstances, he's maybe not the most fun guy to be around right now. Mm. You know, he's he's been in this relationship where he's watched his wife. I mean, I, I'm assuming that there was a gradual deg- degrading of her mental who's, health. Who's to say? Who's to say? <laughs> um, Once maybe she just got a hand on her hands on the fuck is the, the, the name shape of, the, of rage? The shape of rage. And was just like, Raglan this is me. And, yeah. I mean, it's possible. This is me yeah. now. Um, but it, but at minimum, she's been in treatment for a long time. It yes, like several weeks, couple months, whatever. Yeah. Um, but I, is it, so I, I guess in a way, it makes sense to me that he's so closed off and withdrawn as a person. Mm. Um, but also, it's it's a very Cronenberg thing, mm-hmm. I think, to have all of your characters sort of have these formal relationships with one another and i don't mean formal as in like polite society formal i mean yeah. like an official relationship to one another like tuxedos. this is my yes tuxedos. black tie relationships <laughs> but no pants nope. <laughs> um but you know this is my lawyer this is my doctor this mm-hmm. is my right yeah mother-in-law it's all very in a, a sort of societal structure, but there's no emotional relationships between anybody. Yeah. We don't really. even really know if there are any stressors on him. Yeah. What's his job? Where are his parents? Yeah. Who cares? Doesn't matter. Does he have friends? I don't know. Probably not. Kinda Do they sucks. live in a house or an apartment? The number is 34. <laughs> I know that because it's a, it's, giant and on the window of the door yeah but we don't know anything about his life outside of this very specific circumstance we're seeing him in it's great and it kind of is because it does make sense why he's so emotionally distant from everybody because everyone we see him dealing with in this movie are law officials doctors his soon-to-be ex-mother-in-law and Mm -hmm. ex-father-in-law his daughter's teacher like everyone is at an emotional remove from him already yeah and so it's kind of like i typically don't love main characters like this who are milk toast and and very bland but in this movie i'm like well i mean the only character he should be having an emotional reaction to really is candy yeah don't you you mean you don't want a scene where he's like at his job and he has like answering an, phones an emotional speech yeah. with his co-worker about how hard it is the guy in the neck the cubicle next door being like hey frank you've seemed a little off your game lately you're not making enough sales yeah. what's going on with you man yeah i mean you, how is he gonna how is he going to climb the corporate ladder <laughs> when his ex-wife <laughs> is making rage babies right you that's the movie you can't be a single dad no men can't just take care of take care of kids you can listen to salisbury hill as much as you want it's not going to fix your problems this isn't a movie oh it is a movie but um yeah it's it does it does present him as i think there's two ways to look at it because i think Mm -hmm. it does present him as being a sort of a cipher of a character yeah but at the same time i do think what you're saying it um it presents him in a real uh transitional period yeah because he doesn't seem to have these it feel yeah. it's the kind of transitional period you might be in if you were getting divorced or have yes. just gotten divorced yeah where you kind of by necessity and maybe even a little bit by choice 
have emotionally disconnected and shut yourself down a little bit because you can only deal with so much at a time and you just need to get through whatever is happening right now, right. which is out of your control and you don't really understand and you don't want to have to care anymore. <laughs> right, right. And I think there's so much... I think you could, I think one person could say this movie, well, I don't know, because I don't know if I've ever seen anybody criticize this movie for not telling you enough of what's going on, because I think it's just such a weird roller coaster of, like, stuff. I'm sure there are plenty of people out there on the internet yeah, who I'm are sure everybody's like, wait shoot. a minute, everybody's shoot why didn't something. they explain this, this, and this? Yeah, but I matter. don't think anyone's chomping at the bit to see more of Frank's personal life. No. But I think what you do get is you do get that wonderful gray area mm-hmm. where you can kind of make your own assumptions about, yeah. you know, you've the, the first thing that you hear about Nola's mom is that she's got a bunch of boyfriends and you're not really sure what that means. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. It was a, I'm sorry. a, a large number, a number of, of lovers. lovers yes. <sighs> um, <laughs> I mean, she's a very attractive woman, but just for Frank. <sighs> yeah. Um, hey, at least it's not his mother. It's true. Yeah, it's true. I mean, he sa- he says that. Now I'm thinking about it. He says that. I don't know. Is he kind of into her? Who knows? She seemed a little into him. Yeah. Well, they, that's what I'm were, talking about. So they were the closest thing to chemistry that this whole movie had. That's very true. <laughs> but but even so, it's like that's kind of your introduction to the to the 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 grandmother character, mm-hmm. and then oh, with no mention of what that how that relates to her own relationship and mm-hmm. then you meet her ex-husband yes they've been separated yes he comes in with his own like unique emotional state yep. that never gets explained i'm yeah. not saying you need to explain it but it's like he comes in in a very specific mindset yes where he's reacting to something that maybe we haven't necessarily been told what he's reacting to mm-hmm. but it's you know but it, it has by to the do time with the he's... death of his ex-wife yes. and yes know. and it allows you to kind of you just kind of it's kind of giving you the the edges of the story, and you can yeah. kind of fill it in how you want. Um, I just watched for the first time uh, the John Ford Western, The Searchers, oh, I which seen is that. which is big for me because I fucking hate John Wayne. <laughs> um, but one of the things it, uh, that was so interesting about that movie <clears throat> is how much stuff I actually didn't even really like pick up on this stuff. I was reading up on it afterwards, but. Mm. How much stuff is in that movie for you to find if you're looking for it, but mm. they don't ever really come out and talk about it. Mm. So the main thrust of the story, I won't go too far and off topic here, <laughs> but it's John Wayne, uh, um, Confederate soldier after the war. Oh. Uh, he's coming home. His niece gets uh, kidnapped by Comanche Indians who also uh, kill her family. And so then he and this other, uh, quote unquote, half breed. Oh. Yeah. A lot of that going on. Oh, boy. Um, have to go off and save her. And what's different about it that caught my attention, because I hate John Wayne, is that the character he's playing is explicitly racist. Like, it's on purpose. Yeah. Ex-Confederate soldier. Right. Makes sense. But he explicitly fucking hates Indians in a way that is very un- usual for a john wayne character yeah and for westerns in general yeah and, and like to the point where everybody else is like geez fucking cool <laughs> take it down like, a notch. there's a very famous scene where um they're they're tracking down and they find this grave hmm. and they open the grave and it was a comanche who had been killed hmm. and they're kind of taking away what they will and then he's like why don't you finish the job and he shoots the dead body in the eyes 
because if they don't have their eyes, they can't get to, to Native American heaven, essentially. <gasps> That's how much he fucking hates these Indians. Wow. And so there's so much of that like wow. boiling under the surface. And then like you kind of, you, you, you're kind of getting through these things that they're showing you, but not really expanding on that. He kind of is in love with his brother's wife and maybe that this girl that he's trying to find is actually his daughter. Oh. And like the fact that she is now ends up now living with the Comanches. Yeah. Brings him to the point where he would rather kill her than bring her home. Yeah. And so there's like so much other shit going on yeah. inside of this story that's essentially the Indians kidnapped my niece. We need to go save my niece. Right. Which which <clears throat> when you just say the summary could sound like a really simplistic kind of old school oh, definitely. narrative yeah. of a John Wayne movie, but then you add in all this other stuff and it's Yeah, and yeah. it it's it's that was my ham fisted way to get the searchers <laughs> into this conversation. But <laughs> but like that's I, I always find that stuff so fun to dig into and yeah. and very rewarding. Yeah. Um and I think it's tough with Cronenberg because on the surface a character like Frank just feels very clinical. Yeah. Like it feels like, because that's one of the things that I've heard leveled against this, and, and I would yeah. love to hear what you think about this, is that this is a very misogynistic movie. Mm. And it is the kind of movie where it's like it was made by someone going through a divorce. Uh-huh. And so the male character in the movie never does anything wrong and is kind of like fine. Yeah. But it's the it's the woman, it's the wife that's the monster. Yeah. And while on the surface, I can't disagree with that, hmm. I do don't know if I would say th- I think that's giving it too little credit. I don't know. What do you think? I think it's an interesting question. I can definitely see it because Nola literally is the monster. Right. Yeah. Y- you know, she right. is disgusting and everyone is kind of disgusted by her. Mm-hmm. And whatever's happening to her, whatever she's doing with the the external womb and and having these brood children, it doesn't strike me that she actually has a ton of control over it. It seems sort yeah, of it's like an unclear. instinctive process that's been happening to her. I don't even know if she knows what happens to these little goblins. I, like they keep them in upstairs. Yeah. But does she just like, does she hang out with them? Or or is it just like once it's out of the little egg sack thing, it's like, hey, you're on your own. Or does yeah. she forget? Does she even, is she even really conscious of what she's doing? Right, right. And that's all very much left up for debate. You yeah. know, we, we see her in the sort of climactic scene where Frank is trying to keep her pacified so that Dr. Raglan can sneak upstairs to mm-hmm. where all the little goblin children are and rescue Candy and get out safely before they attack him. Yeah. And we see her give birth to one of these creatures and she sort of starts licking it clean mm. in a way that is very normal for mammals. That was apparently her idea. That's a great idea. That was the actress's idea. She's, yeah. she's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> um, because it's something that, you know, if you, if, if you ever see like in a movie, if a horse in a barn gives birth and they never show the full birth, but then they show afterwards this adorable baby horse mm-hmm. and the mom is like licking it clean. Right, yeah. And that's a very normal thing for like animals to do. Right, yeah. But seeing her doing it, it's disgusting to watch. Yep. And Frank watches her and is disgusted by it. Mm. And she, up until that point, it has kind of... I think she's skeptical of him the whole time when he's like, 
yes, I would all, I, I am here for you. I want to see what you're going through and I want to go through it with you. And he, right. he's very bad at selling it. <laughs> um, but I think she's kind of hopeful during that scene. I think she kind of right. wants him. I think she's skeptical of him, but she wants to be proven wrong. And then she's doing something that I'm sure to her in her current state and mindset feels very natural. Mm. She had this baby. She's cleaning her baby. Right. And she catches the look on his face when he's watching her. And she, that's when she's like, oh no, I, I disgust you. Mm. You hate me. It's like, she has a realization that she's like, cannot deny it any longer. Cause she can see him right in front of her. Yeah. Rejecting her. And so it's sort of like, this is a very long winded way of saying that she is, she's grotesque and she's monstrous and the things the brood children are doing on her behalf are horrible, Mm -hmm. but she's not telling them, Hey kids, go kill my mom. Right. And she doesn't really seem to understand that they have been out there wreaking havoc on anybody. Right. Yeah. And she doesn't really seem to understand that there's anything weird (laughs) that's like, that's happening. She's yeah. like, no, this is, this she's is my in, baby. She's in treatment. Yes. She thinks what she is doing is like progress. Yes. Uh, that's how deep she is into yeah. the psychoplasmic shit. Yeah. And it's, it is, it is interesting to think about it from that standpoint where it's yeah. like, yeah, what she's doing is outwardly monstrous, but they make it fairly clear that she doesn't have any clue about yeah. what, what it's, what's happening because of it. Right. She's clearly like, off the deep end yes you know yes she needs help yeah professional help preferably not of the psychoplasmic type but she never hurts anybody right yeah like we never see her attack anyone we never see her her harm anybody the 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 brood does Mm -hmm. and that could be you know that is definitely based off of her subconscious wishes yeah but she doesn't intentionally hurt anyone of her and Frank, the only person we see intentionally hurt somebody is Frank strangles her to death. That's true. Yeah. He, he murders her. <laughs> right. She doesn't technically doesn't murder anybody. Yeah. You could argue that I, well, and th- this is one of those things where it's like, I think there's plenty of room to get into this if they had wanted to, or if you wanted to think about it, mm. you could argue that the, the person who's the, the, the cause of all this murder is Raglan. Yeah. Cause if, I because I don't know what their relationship is. Is he so? The thing that I they don't get into mm-hmm. this psychoplasmics thing. Yeah, is this something that is always there? I mean, it must be because at the end you get the little the warts on right. Candy's arm. Yeah, but he's clearly taken. Is he has he taken a liking to Nola because she is the most powerful he's ever seen and he needs to like wrangle this Mm. or because she has, he has caused her to progress into this thing. Right. You know what I mean? Right. It's unclear. It's really unclear whether or not she was on this path already to begin with. And he is just trying to contain it. Right. Or if he is the cause of it, has he, has he brought her far enough into this process that this is the result? Yeah. Um, and it's interesting cause I, I get the impression that he wants to focus on her because she is capable of doing something he's never seen before. Right. Yeah. Other people go through this process 
and they affect their own bodies. Mm -hmm. She goes through this process and creates entirely new ones. Yes. That are outward manifestations of her id, essentially, of her like subconscious wants and desires. And so I can see, especially for a psychologist who's probably super into Freud and all of that, Mm -hmm. this is probably extraordinarily fascinating and a breakthrough in in sort of the connection between mind and body and Mm -hmm. you never really ever get the sense that he's like i feel like the scene that's that's would usually be in this is where he's like you know he gives frank the brush off and then he turns to his Mm. little blonde friend there yeah and he's and he says he's like uh we can't let her go now. I haven't even finished my next book yet. Like yeah. that kind of, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. You never get the like sense that he is just like a sinister caricature. Yeah. It's really left up to a question of like, is he? Gen- Does he genuinely think he's helping her? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I I do think it's interesting because everyone who is murdered is murdered because he brings them up. Sure. Yes. True. Yeah. You know, he he. So so the way his therapy works is that he sort of role plays as the person from your life mm-hmm. who you're having complicated <laughs> feelings about or trauma. He, around, right? Man, he can he can drop you into that shit at the drop. Like, in, yeah. Snap of the finger. He just walks in. And he's like, it's daddy, and she's like, daddy. I know. Oh. <laughs> He now just I'm, really likes being called daddy. Now I'm Frank. Oh my yeah. God, Frank. You now, bastard. Now I'm your mother. Mommy, how could you? <laughs> He's that good. Yeah. Yeah. He, he he pretends to be everyone in her life. And he even pretends to be um, Ms. Ms. Raymer or Raymond or whatever the teacher's name mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. And that's how the teacher gets married, uh, married, murdered. That's how she gets murdered. Right. Is that yeah. he brings her up after um, Nola's called the house and, and the teacher mm-hmm. picked up. What do you uh, what do you think of him as a character? Do you like him? I mean, is it Raglan? Yeah. Is he is he a good character or is he uh, 98% Oliver Reed being charming? <laughs> I mean, I I think he's I think it's ninety percent Oliver Reed yeah. being charming. Maybe not quite ninety eight. Yeah, um, he's he's definitely. It's definitely let's get some gravitas in here to do the heavy lifting for this. I think yes, um, and I think a different actor wouldn't pull it off quite so well without right. slipping into a caricature. Um, but he is so much fun to watch. He's uh, he's like, so great. I love Oliver <laughs> Reed so much. And it's so hard to separate. Is it is he so fun to watch because this is a good character and it's well written, or is he so fun to watch because this is Oliver? There Reed? are some. There are. I would say there are few actors who are as engaging to watch mm-hmm. when they're not doing anything yeah. as they are when they're saying words and doing stuff. Yeah. Oliver Reed is someone who you can watch him just stare blankly mm-hmm. and be entertained. I he don't know type, what it is. He's the type of actor where it makes me understand the concept of stage presence. Yes. In a way that I think other other actors or, or people get that attributed to them sometimes and I think they don't fully deserve it. Mm. But I think he is kind of the epitome of it in in a lot yeah. of ways he he understands screen acting like this this whole performance from him i think is kind of a master class in screen <laughs> acting mm-hmm. because 
he is so incredibly still and yeah. he is so incredibly quiet. Yeah. Like the yes. whole movie, he never raises his voice. Unless the, the part where he's screaming at the guy that whatever. But even, oh, yes. even, the, even you there. Be my, you can be Michelle. Yeah. Even girl. there, it's like, he's not really going that big. No. But every every other scene he's in, he's just very, very quiet. Yeah. My favorite line delivery in this entire movie, and this movie has some great lines in it, is right before the climax when Frank has gone back to the center to the work shed and he's kind of looking around and then Dr. Raglan steps around from a corner and just goes, Frank, I have a gun. Frank, I have a gun, yes. <laughs> and it's that same, like, they're outside so he's not quite a whisper but he's still very quiet and yes. he's very measured and there's no need to panic Yeah, but I have a gun. That, that was one of those scenes where I'm watching this going like, if this was real life, mm-hmm. I don't know if Frank could hear a word he's saying because yeah. he's like he's like twenty <laughs> feet away. Yes, and he's <laughs> Frank. I have a gun. It reminds me uh, in a the the uh, the the bad version of this is. Did mm. you see Bohemian Rhapsody? No. There's a scene in Bohemian Rhapsody where uh, Freddie Mercury's lover has walked out on him, mm-hmm. and it is pouring, pouring yeah. rain. Is right? this a Boz Lerman? No, this yeah. is uh, it, well. It's a whole. It started as a Brian Singer movie, but then Oof. he got jettisoned. Good. Um, but uh, it, his his lover has walked out, and and Freddie has followed him to the door. Right. So this mm-hmm. this scene takes place outside, pouring rain, mm-hmm. incredibly loud pouring rain. His lover has walked. I'm going to say conservatively, fifty yards away. <clears throat> conservatively. Yes, and he has his back to Freddie Mercury. And they are talking to each other through this downpour 50 yards away with his back to him in like normal talking voice. And they're just (laughs) cutting to close ups. You and I who are five feet away from one another are speaking louder. Yes. And they're cutting to close ups of these two talking to each other. And I was like, what the fuck (laughs) is I don't know if they're trying to make a point here or something, but this is ridiculous. Yeah. But this is this is one where I I, I spent spent the whole movie thinking about the guy doing sound for this. Yeah. It's like, do they have to? Does <laughs> he have adjusting his, in one direction for yeah. Oliver Reed, and then adjusting in a different direction? Does for he get his else? own mic? Does he get no his own boom guy? No one in this guy? movie, other than Nola, really gets emotional. Right, Nola gets pretty big, no, especially. Yeah. Well, I do. Before we jump on, I want to talk about Candy a little bit because mm. I find her interesting the yeah. way that she's portrayed. But uh, um, Oliver Reed is. Man, he's got his whole everything I've ever seen him in is just charisma on display. Yes. And I I highly recommend. I thought for as we were we were getting ready to talk about this, I was like, "Oh man, I'm so glad we get to talk about Oliver Reed. I forgot mm-hmm. we did The Devils already." Yes. Which is again, yes. fantastic Oliver Reed performance. Yeah. Um I don't know if I mentioned it in that episode, but uh I don't know if this is true. Apparent this again. This is another story that is probably apocryphal. But I could have mm. sworn I heard <laughs> that one time he got an asymmetrical haircut. Well, no, I I'm <laughs> almost positive that on the Gladiator commentary, oh. Ridley Scott tells the story of how Oliver Reed died because he died while they were shooting Gladiator. Oh shit! And I believe the story that is out there is that Oliver Reed, he was a notorious alcoholic, like mm-hmm. really, really bad. Mm-hmm. If you go on YouTube, you can find a very famous talk show appearance where he is lit. Eesh. And it is not great Eesh. for anybody who's there. Um, <clears throat> but apparently the story is that while they were filming in like Malta or whatever for yeah. Gladiator, he was going out 
getting shit faced with these Marines or Navy guys who are stationed. And the 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 uh, the legend is that he went out drinking at this bar. The whole night was doing mm-hmm. shots and challenging these Marines to arm wrestling contests. <laughs> and then he dropped dead of a heart attack. Oh, my God. <laughs> Which I hope is true. I hope. I could have. I'm pretty sure that's the story Ridley Scott tells. I and hope so. I'm so going too. to say that if that's the case, that's the one I'm going to believe. If it were like instantaneous, I feel like that's kind of a fun way to go. If you got to go, go with a smile. As exactly. The jo- as the Joker once said. Yeah. Out having fun. Joker's plastic surgeon, technically. But <laughs> anyway, um, Candy. Yes, Candy. Candy, and I all find. all the other little goons. Yeah. Candy's interesting because I said this jokingly as we were watching it, but I, mm-hmm. I said he really found a way to get around dealing with a child actor by just having them be catatonic, basically, the whole movie. Yeah. And it's, it's fascinating because she very much ends up being treated like a prop. Yes. Which feels like it's probably by design. Either that or Cronenberg's like, I don't know how to write a kid. <laughs> what do children like? Do they like snowsuits? Snowsuits, yeah. That's it. That's, that's all pretty, he had. Yeah, that's that's it. all he had. Candy is interesting because she's not interesting. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like They, they do not give her totally. a personality the same as they do not give Frank a personality. It's right. the one thing that makes them seem related. Um, yes, yeah. Is that neither one of them can emote, and, and and it's an interesting question because is this a result of the fact that she's grown up in a home with a mom like Nola, or is it a result of the fact that she's now growing up in a broken home? Right. Yeah, because you could you could extrapolate out that the reason she's acting or not acting the way that she mm-hmm. is is because she's on the back end of a pretty fucked up breakup. Right. And then she does mirror her mother, or at least what we hear about Nola. Mm. And through the therapy sessions, there's definitely Nola's unresolved issue with her own father is that she felt like he should have protected her from her mother. And this is a case where Frank is trying to protect her from her mother. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't seem to be helping actually Mm. (laughs) like she's still being exposed to you know these brood children coming and killing people around her all the time yeah like i I think the only murder she's not present at is the the grandfathers but she sees her grandmother get murdered she sees her teacher get murdered and then she sees dr raglan get murdered Mm mm-hmm she probably goes downstairs. I don't remember. Does she go downstairs and see her her mother strang- strangled to death? I don't think she sees that. I, I mean, maybe she yeah. does. I don't know. But, but this this little girl ends up seeing a lot of murder. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. But she's never. We never see her being like childlike, really. Right. Yeah. We, she seems very removed from that. Yeah. She's never like playing with other kids. She's never like, "Daddy, can we get ice cream?" Right. She's very solitary and very quiet yeah just like not most kids yeah and i think it's another thing where it's it feels it feels enough like a choice that yeah you can really kind of extrapolate what that means yeah no i i I, and i think we don't see candy interact with her mother no we don't yeah 
And so one of the things that fascinates me about this movie is uh, the, the people we do not see together. Yes. Who have these very, very close relationships, fa- family relationships or what have you, but we never see them interact with one another or we see their interaction in a very limited way. Right, right. And I think that is very much on purpose. Yeah. I think that is to illustrate the distance that has developed between the people in this family. Yeah, it's it's funny. I, I saw, I was reading one bit, <clears throat> a sort of a retrospective review of this movie mm. that mentioned that the one sort of, um, one of the things about the ending that mm. doesn't track is that if Raglan really wanted to, to uh, achieve getting Candy out of there and placating Nola, yeah, he should have sent Frank up to get her, yeah, get Candy, and he and Raglan should have talked to Nola, yeah, because the whole movie, no, Raglan's the only person that can like rein her in, yeah. And then he's like, "Why don't you do it?" And I'll go get the child, you know. But of course, it's like movies; they have to have a scene, you know. It's, right. Uh, uh, but and, but you know what? On the flip side, I can counter argument that every time Raglan talks to her, she kills. Somebody. That's true. <laughs> That's a good point. So maybe he was like, "Oh, I can't. Like, I can't. I I realized the pattern finally, and that I'm Frank, the one." Yeah, uh, Frank, I'm. Yeah. I'm not a good doctor, Frank. Yeah. <laughs> I'm retiring. <laughs> I know after this. this. <laughs> I know this now. <laughs> I think I'm going to be a Shakespearean actor yes. instead. Yes. Um, I liked the alternate titles for this movie we came up with on our chat. Do you remember? Oh yeah, were? I have uh, them written down. Oh please tell me, I forget what they were. Uh, the only good fathers are murderers. Yep. Uh, the only good mothers are dead mothers. Mm-hmm. All women are disgusting monsters mm-hmm. unless they're teachers. <laughs> and my personal favorite, which is one you came up with. Uh, alternate title. This is all your mother's fault. Yes. <laughs> yeah. The teacher. The teacher thing's interesting because it's yeah. the teacher thing. Possession was flashing yeah. so bright in my head. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's such an exact. It's the exact same character, but from a completely different angle. Yes. Because in this movie, the teacher is smart enough to go like, "Listen, buddy, uh, this yeah. is pretty fucking weird. I'm out of here." <laughs> this. I mean, but I mean this. This whole movie is also kind of like a bizarro version of possession. Yeah, it or, is. Or possession yeah. is a bizarro version of this movie. Yes, this came out first. Yes, yeah. where in this movie the husband is done. He's done. Yeah. He mm-hmm. wants out. He wants this marriage over. He wants to take his child and move on with his mm-hmm. life. That's what he wants. In possession, it is the husband who wants her to stay. Yes. He wants to keep the child. He wants to keep his wife. He wants his life to stay the way it was. Mm -hmm. And the wife is the one who's like, I got to get out of here. (laughs) I can't do this anymore. But in both, it is initiated by the wife having some sort of mental health crisis, Mm -hmm. some sort of breakdown, some sort of psychotic break with reality. You could, in this movie, Mm. you could cut in this, the subway scene from possession. Yes. And if if uh, if Nola was like, this one time, it got really weird. And then you cut in that scene and yeah. go, yeah, that tracks. Yeah, the first time it happened, I didn't know what was going on and yeah. I was in the subway station. Because that's could... basically... Yeah. She's psychoplasmicking some sort of doppelganger creature in that movie. Yeah. For the, for the most part. Yeah, and then there is the weird... In possession, I think it's on purpose... I know it's on purpose. It's obviously on purpose that he falls for the doppelganger who is the teacher, who yep. is the sort of m- nurturing, non-threatening version of his wife. Mm-hmm. Whereas in 
the brood, the teacher's very different than his wife, not just personality-wise, but physically. Yes. They look very different. They're not at all the same type of person. Right. And it seems like there's a moment where maybe he's interested and maybe she's interested, but it's not nearly as explicit. No, no. It's not like it, it, it could be entirely that she's like, I'm just trying to be a good teacher to this poor little girl who I think is deeply traumatized and might be getting abused. And her dad keeps not showing up to PTA meetings and parent teacher conferences and so maybe if I say yes to dinner at their house, I'll have an opportunity to talk to him about yeah. what the fuck is going on with his poor kid. And then he like runs out on her and she's like, well, yeah. I can't leave this little girl alone who doesn't have a mom functionally and like whose dad just ditched her. So I guess I'll hang Here, out until he gets back. I'm going to go read my flat earth book. Uh, let me know what yeah. you think. <laughs> no, and, and it's in both situations. He's they the the father character is yeah. clearly queuing in on this nurturer and caretaker yes, to somebody who will take care of my child right yeah. yeah and in and in i think in possession it's more of it's that plus him looking for a partner and in this one yeah. i think it's more of i just need someone to take care of my kid yes yeah i i I stand by my possession uh, assertion that I think he also wanted a mommy. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> but in this one, I don't think he does. I don't think in the brood he's looking for any sort of emotional connection. I think it's purely practical. Yes. It's like, you are a trustworthy adult who I can leave my child with. Yeah. Please watch my child. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what do you think of the little, <laughs> here we are at an hour and 15 yeah. or so minutes. <laughs> We're finally going to talk about the brood. Yeah. Uh, how do, what do you what do you think of the little goblin people? I love them. Yeah. I think they're great. They're pretty fucking, they're weird. They're so, but that's why I love them. Yeah. Like, I love that they're these weird little mutants. I love that, like, I read a thing that was like, they're actually played by child gymnasts. I saw that, yes. I love that. It's very, That very makes funny. me extremely happy that there's a troop of child gymnasts who got to play these little goons and and jump on adults and hit them with plastic hammers my favorite shot probably in the whole movie is when mm. the two little goons are are on either side of candy holding her hand as they're yes! walking down the highway yes it's it's so silly it's so weird it's the best and just the the, the idea of you've got these little rage monsters yeah and he's got them in little snowsuits Puts them in bunk beds. It's so strange. It's, it's so cold out, Clay. No, I get it, but you like you can't send a five year old out in a Vancouver winter if, without a snowsuit. I, <laughs> What's wrong with you? Listen, they they they're fine. They live in Vancouver, in Toronto, or whatever. Whatever. Um, I just picked Vancouver. I don't know because you have no respect for the people of Toronto. I have no respect for Canada. That's fair. Yeah. Um, Sorry. <laughs> we just lost our one listener in Canada. <laughs> No, I've told you. I've told you about this. This this is a total tangent. I've told you about the fact that I lied to Greg for years about hating Canada. No. Oh yeah, I had him convinced for like. Uh, how long have we been together? How long have we been married? I had him convinced for probably a solid seven years that I hated Canada. What was the, what was the motivation to create this ruse? Um, it just it was like a very like silly low stakes way to watch him get worked up. This wasn't like he really wanted to go to Canada and you didn't really feel like going to Canada, so you... I mean, kind of that's how it started. Ended up in this lie you just couldn't 
work your that, way out that's of? sort of how it started but i think i jokingly said fuck canada and he got like genuinely affronted and then i was like oh this is fun okay and then i just kept it going and then um when he proposed to me and i said yes i said i have something i have to admit to you <laughs> that's really funny because I, w- I was wondering how you got out of this uh well at first i had thought i was gonna bring it to my deathbed i planned on dying before him and telling him in my last breath that i didn't hate canada this whole time but i think it would be funnier if you told it in his last breath yeah <laughs> by the way on your way out yeah just so you know i never i never did hate canada canada's fine manitoba fucking love it <laughs> just not saskatchewan Bye, sweetie <laughs> Anyway, Canada. Yes. Cold out. Yes. Those brood children are very, very young. They need snowsuits. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, but I, I, you know, I'm thinking of it from like a modern version of this with these rage monsters would be like little creatures, like CGI creatures or yeah, something. Yeah. They would be, I think they would be much more grotesque. Yeah. I think they would be much more violent. I think they would be like biting well, and, and tearing of flesh they kind of thing. do a lot of that. They they do, but they're, they're... I was surprised at how... I didn't remember them being so... Um, the brutality is very effective because they, yes. they they're all... All of their kills, except for the doctor who they kind of chew and mm-hmm. you know, tear at, yeah. are blunt force trauma kills. Yes. Yeah, they're bludgeoners. And they're very, uh, you know, they're effective. They're persistent. And, yeah. Um, yeah, but they are not, I feel like, I feel like a modern version now would have them have like sharp rows of sharp teeth oh, yes. and claws yeah. or they'd be like spitting acid or some shit. Yeah. You know what you I mean? De- you would definitely get the one shot where one of them turns around and it's like yeah. the mouth full of teeth from Friday. Yeah. And yeah. it like opens up its mouth wider and wider and there's just more and more teeth. Um, which could be And then cool. someone goes, it's a metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> For the way children will consume you if you yes. let them. They're like cats. If you die when you're in the house and you're alone with them, they'll eat you. Yeah. The, honestly, you know, speaking about that, the brood is not the cat eating. <laughs> cat eaters. <laughs> eaters who are cats. Killer dwarves. <laughs> yes. Um. The Brood is one of those movies where I'm a little surprised no one's ever remade it because it's mm. ju- it's one of those ones that's just off the beaten path enough where they can take yeah. a flyer on it. Like like when they remade, well, I know why they remade The Crazies, but like George Romero's The Crazies. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, it's not a zombie movie, but we're, it's, it's kind of like parallel to that track. Yeah. And it seems to have a cult following. It does feel, Let's give it a shot. It does feel like when like the Duke. And Hereditary were coming out. Somebody could have taken a swipe at this one. I'm thinking it would have happened even earlier. I'm talking oh, like really? right in the pocket of of the remake. Oh, the like, like 2004. Yeah, or something. like when they remade John Carpenter's The Fog mm. and The Wicker Man. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is in that sort of Venn diagram. Nick of, Cage as Frank. Yes. <laughs> too yeah, much honestly. personality. Yeah, it's too, too much. little. Yeah. Tom Welling <laughs> from The oh, Fog. Nick Cage as Doctor Raglan. Mm, now we're now we're talking yeah like today nick cage yeah is dr rag that would probably be pretty good yeah done Oliver by the, Reed done by the just... color out of space guy yeah well not anymore but... well yeah fair um oliver reed is just such a how do you replace him maybe that's the problem everybody kept man up, i'll tell uh, you up, up against david cronenberg gets oliver reed in this movie uh-huh. to do all this heavy lifting and in scanners he gets fucking patrick mcgowan from the prisoner yes do, and it's just like you can't do better than that if you need 
if you need someone to, to talk, say some crazy shit and make it sound <laughs> make it sound convincing. Give it gravitas. If yes. you're not getting Alec Guinness to do it, yeah, those yeah. two guys. That's, that's perfect. That's all you have after Alec Guinness. <clears throat> yes, yeah. literally no other actors exist. Um, was there anything else you wanted to hit before we wrap it up? Um, I guess I kind of want to ask: Do you think this movie is scary? Uh, I in parts yes. Yeah. I, I don't find it scary as in like pop-up faces scary. <laughs> no, there aren't really any of those. No. But I think it's I think it's like a lot of Cronenberg's movies, it just gets under your skin in a way yeah. that you might not be expecting. Yeah. And like when you get, I think when you get to the end, we didn't even really talk about the reveal of the, the egg sack thing. So I think it's a good ex- excuse to talk about it. Yeah. That whole sequence, like when they do... This is such a weird setup with these little creatures. So what are you, I don't mean to interrupt, but I just, I have to ask. Mm-hmm. When you first watched this, yep. before she threw back her, her robes and, and exposed her external womb, mm-hmm. what were you expecting to find out? I don't even know, honestly. <laughs> I'm not even sure. Because I was expecting to find out that she had had some sort of, other children that she didn't tell him about Mm -hmm. or that they were her siblings or that they were science experiments. Like I, I had had like a bunch of different theories running around in my head about what the brood kids were. I honestly don't remember if I had to guess, I mean that line where Raglan says, no, they're all her children. Yeah. I think I kind of was, would probably be like, okay, this is going to be kind of weird. Yeah. I don't. I what? I don't think I was expecting exactly that. No, no, I don't think anybody could expect exactly that. But it's it's so. I think that sequence is so great because Cronenberg's early movies are. Uh, how do I put this? Um, Fucking I, weird. They're weird, but I also find them to be <sighs> theatrically kind of flat if that makes sense. Sure. So what I mean by that is I find his, the color palette he uses to be very drab. Yes. There's a lot of brown and beige in this movie. Right. And like, there was a few scenes where I'm like, okay, is he doing this on purpose? Like, this is kind of a nice combination. It's a very Mm. weird drab combination of like, a beige colored wall and some yellow chairs, but the yellow chairs match right. the yellow door. Is this on purpose or is mm. this, I don't know how much is set in art production design and how much is this production is being paid for by the Toronto government. And so we're using buildings we can get into. Right, right. It's 1978 and this is just what office buildings look like. Right, yeah. right. And like in Scanners, I remember watching Scanners going like, what the fuck? Who? This movie looks like it was shot in an airport. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of his movies kind of have that vibe, though. Yeah. I With think, the lighting yeah. and, and all of that, yeah. I, think, I don't think he really starts to get theatrical with a capital T until mm-hmm. like the, the Fly. Yeah. Because The Fly, then he's... Really, he's doing a, a a big budget production. Yeah, he's working with great. I'm not saying that the cinematographer is bad or anything, but you know, it's a different. It's a step up. Sure. Um, and I think in both this and Scanners, he really picks his places to to go mm. big mm. and put the capital T on it. Yes. And so for this movie, which is for the most part 
just beige and the color palette is beige and old snow. Yes. <laughs> when you get to that reveal scene, the actual reveal is so theatrical. Yeah. Where she's got this weird cape thing yeah that like splits in half like bat wings yeah it's like a robe that splits up to her sternum and she's got kind of bright red hair and she's very pale with big eyes and the robe is very bright white yeah yeah and so when she throws it open and the 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 cloth billows out and the way the light hits her yeah it is like a big moment. Yeah, and I mean, like even the even the little creatures, their mm. their snowsuits are very plain. I mean, they're they're they look like the, the things from Among Us, yeah. but but it's like they're it's they look like off the rack snowsuits. Yeah, yeah, they look very familiar to right. anyone who grew up in the seventies, eighties, early nineties. Yeah, they're just like a blue snowsuit. Yeah, and so yeah. this final sequence is is the first thing that really feels. Um, theatrical and like art designed and, and yeah. meant to have that sort of big dramatic feel to it yeah and I, that's I, I i really like the way that it plays out because it is so that really pushes you through the the looking glass so to speak mm-hmm. and then the weird shit just keeps happening and just yes. building on top of it yeah yeah no, i know i i agree i really i love that scene overall because she does that and then she gives birth to the the creature and it's covered in blood. So yep. it's this very, it's the scene of very like reds, bright crimson reds and bright blinding whites. Yeah. And so it is a very, very visual stunning, visually stunning in a movie where everything else feels very grounded in a kind of mundane, normal world. Yeah. I, I know I've said this before, but um, uh, one of my professors in college who kind of, uh, was was a bit of a guide when for me when it came to these mm. movies. <clears throat> Told me that in in every David Cronenberg no mat- movie, no matter how quote unquote normal, mm-hmm. there's always one scene where you go, yeah, it's David Cronenberg. Yeah, <laughs> and like this movie has the the whole concept of this is very Cronenberg. Yeah, but that last sequence is like that's it. Yeah, you know that's the moment. Like yeah. even like it does feel a little bit like he was kind of making this whole movie to make this scene it's worth it yeah no yeah. no that that's not i i i realized even as i was saying it i was like this sounds like a criticism but i don't actually mean it that way right yeah like it makes sense like movies should drive towards their climax mm-hmm. like the climactic scene should be climactic mm-hmm. but it, it's it's interesting because i feel like it really stands out with him yeah because yeah. he makes these these bigger stylistic choices in those moments than he does in the rest of the movie yeah i think it, i think there there is kind of a little bit of an attitude or a vibe that he could really give a shit less what Frank is wearing. Yeah. Great you hair know? though. Guy's got amazing hair. He does have great hair. He's got like But it's like wear Kurt some Russell you know, hair. wear some normal clothes. Yep. Look like a a, a a dad. Wear something that looks like it was paid for by the people of Toronto. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I kinda you know, you get the sense that that sort of stuff does not matter to him when it does not matter to the story. Mm-hmm. And then when yes. it matters to the story, it's all, it has to be that's, very precise. That's the thing with him that is so fascinating to me. And I, and I think that's maybe where my brain is going when I think about the, the way that his movies look, mm-hmm. is that it seems like he has a thing that he's interested in. Yes. And the other stuff is just sort of like, how do I get us to the thing I'm interested in? Yeah. You know? It's interesting because I, I think that he and... David Lynch are compared all the time. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sure we've compared them in the past. Um, and I think they're kind of the opposite. 
where sure i think lynch has so many more things he's interested in like he doesn't hone yes. in quite so hard on, yes. on one th- thing or one theme definitely he has so many and so he just says i'm gonna make a thing and bring in all the stuff i'm interested in mm. whereas cronenberg kind of does the opposite where he's like no 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 there's just this one thing i'm interested in yeah and i'm gonna do whatever the fuck i gotta do to get to that thing yep and the rest of it's just in service of that thing yeah and i think that's that's one of the th- one of the things that can be can seem um what's the word I'm looking for uh can might make you undervalue this movie a little bit mm-hmm. because I think you can look at Frank as the character who's like no Frank is just I don't give a shit about him we just he's just right. there to get us to the stuff I'm yes. interested in yeah but I think that's I think that's doing a bit of a disservice yeah to this movie to say that yeah no I I think it is but at the same time I think it's also a little true. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not going to say it's not. Yeah, yeah. I don't don't think it's I don't give a shit about Frank, but I do think it's more like the thing that is interesting about Frank is the decision he makes at the very end of the movie to kill Nola. Mm. I think that is what's interesting about Frank, is that the only way he can escape her is if she is dead. Yeah. That's, uh, maybe that's the most... <laughs> divorce self insertion <laughs> divorce related thing in the yes. movie yeah um so about those those reviews i was talking about yes on rotten tomatoes the consensus is the brood is a grotesque squirming hilariously shrill exploration of the bizarre and deadly side of motherhood <clears throat> uh variety called it an extremely well made if essentially unpleasant shocker Leonard Malton reviewed the film in two sentences. Egger eats her own afterbirth while midget clones beat grandparents and lovely young school teachers to death with mallets. It's a big, wide, wonderful world we live in and rated it as an outright bomb. And Roger Ebert oh boy, here we called go. it a bore and disgusting in ways that are not entertaining as opposed, for example, to the great disgusting moments in Alien or Dawn of the Dead. Huh. And even went as far as asking, are there really people who want to see reprehensible trash like this? Huh. Wow. Of all the movies he's watched. Yeah. This one is reprehensible trash. And this is 19... So he hasn't even seen Friday the 13th yet. I guess he just didn't know the depths to which cinema would fall. Yeah, I don't know. It's just... I, he's, I find him very fascinating because sometimes... I feel like he's right on the money. Mm. Other times I feel like he's just, yeah, I got honestly, a, he's got like a pebble in his shoe or something. I don't know. I, 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 I just don't, I never followed his reviews enough to, mm-hmm. to sort of recognize a pattern. It yeah. always just seemed a little scattershot to me, whether he liked something or not. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know if you it's know, just me. I don't know if it was because he and Siskel became, you're aware of Siskel and Ebert, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. I can't remember how old you are. <laughs> um, I don't know if it's because he and Siskel became such high-profile arbiters of quality. Yeah. But I feel like when they go in on a movie, they go in on it in ways that I just don't understand. Like We talked about yeah. it on Friday the 13th where Siskel was, hated Friday the 13th so much and was so appalled that Betsy Palmer would do that movie yes. that he published her home address and encouraged people to write her letters shaming her for yeah, it. Yeah, he doxed her. Yes. 
and like it's this this kind of thing where where it's like this movie ebert's going in on it as reprehensible trash i don't know yeah say say it's disgusting say it's weird even say it's nonsensical if you really didn't think that there was anything to the storyline or or you think that it's just i don't know there's a lot of ways to describe it but like i feel like in even in 1979 there were movies out there much more deserving of the epithet reprehensible trash than this one yeah and even so i don't know i think it's maybe it's just the idea that you would write a review of something that is vaguely or explicitly questioning like the, the morality of someone who would watch it or so, you know, like when you become a moral arbiter, I get what you're saying. That's when it starts to bother me. Phrasing it as who would want to watch this reprehensible trash is sort of like, I mean, I mean, honestly, I feel like, if, if that's the review of your movie, that's a movie I want to watch. So <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. Like, it makes it sound interesting to me. Yeah, right. Yeah. Anyway, uh, the only other thing to mention here is that this was the first. This was Howard Shore's first movie score that he did. Oh. And Howard Shore, who would later on go on to do the all the Lord of the Rings movies, and uh, it is he also has done every one of Cronenberg's movies except for The Dead Zone. Yeah. So they clearly like working with each other. But this is number 174 on our list. How do you feel about the placement? I feel pretty good about it. Yeah, I think I do too. Yeah. This is one of the rare ones where I'm like, that feels right. I think it should be on the list. I think it's it's kind of iconic at this point. And it does some really interesting things. Um, So... I'm fine with it. I yeah, I would. I would agree. I think. Yeah. I think that makes sense for this one. Um, do you like it? Would you recommend it? I like it. Uh, this would be a a recommend with caveats. Yeah, I think you got to know your crowd for this. Yeah, because yeah. I, I could. I, there are a lot of people I know who would, even on the surface, you describe it to them and they'd be like, "Oh, that sounds interesting," and then they sit down to watch it and be like, "I hate this." You know, even if someone, <laughs> even if someone saw. If they if they if they saw the fly, yeah, and we're like, man, love that movie. Would love to watch some more David Cronenberg movies. I would send them to this one. Not the first one. I would choose. I I hopefully hopefully they would get there. Right, but I would be happy when they got there. Yeah, I would need a little more evidence that it was the Cronenberg of it all that they were interested in, and not the original The Fly, (laughs) (laughs) which is embedded in the DNA of even the Cronenberg adaptation. Yeah, and I also think this. I think it's a little bit. It's just old enough stylistically that mm. it might put people off, you know? Yeah. I think I would go, if you're coming off the fly, mm. I would say, if you like the fly, you need to watch the dead zone. Yeah. And then after the dead zone, if you like the dead zone, if you really want to get into it, see what this guy's about, you got to watch Videodrome. That's what I was just thinking. <clears throat> Which is weird, because Videodrome is like, one of the weirdest movies ever made. But so. I feel like if if you've watched those two first two Cronenberg movies, you need to see what the what the other end of the spectrum right. is, right. and then if you're even into that, then you're gold. Just go wherever you want. Yeah. with Cronenberg after that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's that's how I would. Go. I agree with that ranking. Um, I have hit the randomizer button. Beep boop boop beep boop 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 beep boop, and we have landed on number twenty seven. Oh, which is Rosemary's Baby. <gasps> So we got a heavy hitter coming next time. Yes, 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 yes. 
So uh, 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 until then, if you would like to help support the show, head over to patreon.com slash the Penske file and uh, uh, subscribe to that. And you can follow uh, Amanda and I as we take on the video nasties list. Yes. We've done, uh, what what month is this? This is May still, right? Yeah. So we've done four. We have not yet done May. We've got uh, the Living Dead in Manchester Morgue coming up this month. We've done Possession. We've done Tenebrae. We've done uh, uh, The Beyond. Was Flesh for Frankenstein? Flesh for Frankenstein. Yes. So we're getting gooey. It's getting fun. Yeah. So uh, follow us over there. And uh, yeah, thank you guys for listening. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you, Clyde. And we'll see you next time. Bye, everyone. Bye.